the Browns are all in on Deshaun Watson, leveraging their future, their brand, the stability of their organization, all on a disgraced wild card. Can Jacoby Brissett and an elite offensive line keep the Browns competitive through the first 11 games of the season? And the Ravens were 5-1 and one to start the season, in position for the number one seed in the AFC before unraveling and losing six straight games to close the season. Is 2022 the Ravens' revenge tour? We'll discuss all this and more on tonight's betting market outlook for the AFC North. Let's hit the opening bell. Welcome to this next edition of our betting market outlooks. I'm Brett Matthew along with Duda at Throw the Damn Ball on Twitter. So let's start off with the 2022 win total futures for the AFC North. So see the Ravens at the top with an expected win total of 10. Bengals follow them at nine and a half, juiced to the over. Browns at eight. Steelers lagging at seven and a half. Anything pop out to you here, Judah? If I had any leans, it would be the Steelers under. I think there's really so much up in the air with the Ravens, the Bengals, and even the Browns. Yes, Mike Tomlin has had a winning record. At some point, that's going to stop, right? They don't really have much talent on the roster. The vaunted defense of the 2018-2019 Steelers is really no longer. The guys are older. Uh, got either a rookie quarterback or Mitch Trubisky. I don't really see this as the year where the Steelers continue their winning streak. And I think the Alt-Unders have bet in such a tough AFC. My initial inclination was I wanted to bet Steelers over primarily around the assumption that the market was going to be very cool on the Steelers, assuming that because there's three teams in this division who are all sexy in their own ways, that you'd have the Steelers here and everyone would be writing them off. But as I kind of listened to podcasts and read other people's division previews and things like that, what is priced into these lines? Because we don't want to keep talking about all the same things that everybody knows. If everyone knows it, then it's reflected in these prices. So simply just talking about them, and if that's part of our rationale for leaning one way or another, then we better think that the market is actually mispricing that very well-known fact, either to the upside or the downside, and then we're taking the other side of that position. And in the Steelers' case, it seems like everyone thinks that everyone else thinks that they're riding off the Steelers. So they're going to take the other side of that trade, which is, hey, the Steelers defense is still pretty good. Mitch Trubisky isn't as bad as everyone thinks that he is. This is still Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season in 15 years. That's almost, to me, what this number says is, okay, by all accounts, the numbers say the Steelers should be worse than even a seven and a half win team. But Mike Tomlin hasn't had a losing season in 15 years. Maybe there's something we don't know. And almost the market's like hanging that up saying, like, okay, what works generally for figuring out the other 31 teams, we got to have a different formula for this one. Basically, again, because I'm so markets oriented, I see a lot of the market positioning it in that way. So one, it's not just like I'm going to unilaterally and blindly fade it to take the other side, but it gives me pause. Because again, as I came into my research, and even after I was doing my research, I still felt like, hey, I think there's some value to the over here on the Steelers. But basically, because I'm aligned with the market and the market thinks that they're being clever by buying the Steelers, is for that reason in itself, I'm probably just going to lay off. 
but I'm down on the Browns. So under, I love the under. I'll take the under. I, I'll take the under seven. Alt plus 195. The way the market is framing the Browns is as long as they can be competitive up until that week 11 or whatever, then Watts is going to come in and he's going to necessarily make them absolutely better. And I don't know that that's going to be the case. Like he would have to go through all like working out the Kings, getting in rhythm with the wide receivers and also just playing an NFL game at NFL speed for the first time in what, like two years. Yeah. No, I, I, I almost... He's just going to like roll out of bed and essentially start playing like vintage Deshaun Watson, which we don't even know if he's even that athlete anymore. Right. I take a totally different angle on the Browns. I was really hoping the market would be a little more bearish, which is that I actually think that Jacoby Brissett is an upgrade over what they had in Baker Mayfield last year. If you want to take EPA, if you want to take CPOE, if you want to take PFF passing grade, Jacoby Brissett's career averages were all better than what Baker Mayfield was in 2021. You're more or less looking at like a 9-10 win team, which I guess maybe I should be taking my over here but I think this division's really tough and the AFC's really tough. The other thing is like, what I feel like no one's really taking into consideration either is, what if this team is vibing? They're like eight and three, or like nine and two or something like that. And I'm not saying Jacoby Percet is like just crushing it, but the team's got a rhythm. Do you bring in Deshaun Watts at that time? And then there's the Bengals again at nine and a half, juice to the over, Ravens 10 juice the over i want to fade the ravens but again there's like almost all of the evidence suggests that's not a good decision especially because i think the expectations are high for them in the kind of broader betting market i don't know anyone who's bearish on the ravens do you no so i don't know i wanted to bet the over on the steelers i'm gonna cancel it out won't disagree with it also i think it's just aligning up with the market for me too much my best kind of way to angle on this division, I, I think would be the Browns under. Add even just a little bit there. Like there's some real left tail here, which is they start out 0-3, 0-4. There's already a ton of pressure on the organization. Like that's an example where everything can just completely fall off. Yeah. Like absolute organizational dysfunction, real possibility. This is definitely one of the best divisions when it comes to offensive line play. So we look at some of these market rankings here. Browns ranked second, again, according to market perception. Ravens, almost the top 10, and certainly is gonna be better than it was last year, given just the devastating injuries that they absorbed. Bengals dramatically improved. That's a narrative that is very well documented and probably more than priced into the market already. And then there's the Steelers, who have always had a great offensive line, certainly during the height of the Big Ben years. And then the last couple of years, it's been really bad. It was certainly one of the worst last year and it isn't expected to be one of the worst this year because there really was no upgrades even. Besides James Daniels, one of the things we'll get into, but that was really the only kind of improvement. Steelers are interesting on the offensive line because last year they basically didn't let their offensive line have any impact on any play because they were getting the ball, rid of the ball so quickly. I wonder if that's a function of Ben Roethlisberger's form. Is it a function of Matt Canada's offense? Is it a combination of the two? Kind of what do we see with Trubisky or Pickett? That's definitely a question to be monitoring over the course of the season. Let's get into the Steelers. Very bizarre year. Ended up going 9-7-1. Came into the season with 
an win expectation of nine, went eight, nine ATS, which is actually quite surprising in itself as well. Ended up winning a $100 unit better, $235 on the season. From a Pythag perspective, seven wins. Our Pythag 2.0 had them a little bit higher than that, but still the Steelers ended up outperforming that at 7.9. Mean power rank was around 16, so roughly average. And their volatility was pretty high at around four spots per week, which I think goes to demonstrate is the market wanting to fade the Steelers, but then they're putting in some sort of performance that always looked ugly, but the final score was a win or a cover. And so the market couldn't sell off on the Steelers because like, they were still either cashing tickets or otherwise actually winning games. And as we know, actually even ended up making the playoffs. This team just kept on winning and couldn't really understand why, what was going right for them. Big Ben looked totally washed and it didn't really matter. To even think about where the Steelers were in 2020, which was a team that was 11-1. and one. It was a big PFF thing. So the Steelers are fraudulent. Yeah. Totally collapsed. I know PFF certainly was riding that narrative hard and then you know, just really started pounding the table and kind of dancing on the grave of the Steelers. And that's why I remember coming into 2021, people would look at that nine and say, man, that, that's really high. Gotta fade that. Like the Steelers are the worst team in this division or one of the worst teams in this division that they're gonna challenge the Bengals for the bottom was I think a pretty common narrative last year. And they outperformed. Yeah. And now expectations are even lower than that, meaningfully lower than that at seven and a half. Looking at their schedule like last year, again, we saw very, very volatile. There was this like push pull of everyone saying, oh, the Steelers do not look good. The Steelers are not good, but then they keep winning or covering. Start off middle of the pack with the uh, power ranking around 14 and then jumped and got to that ninth spot. And then again, you go from nine to 22 in a three week span. The market was just ready to sell off on the Steelers, very fragile. And we can look at the time-weighted average margin. One, two, three, four, five. Five. five wins. So that's definitely one of the biggest deltas that we've seen from kind of earned wins is what we could call this maybe. And realized wins being nine. And I think one of the things that we'll talk about maybe more in future streams and certainly over the course of the season is uh, something you've been taking the lead on well drive quality but yeah adjusted scores based on kind of the quality of drives and that was around five wins as well it just quantifies what i feel like a lot of the eye tests want to say about a team when a team is outperforming what they actually look like how they're performing on the field what this drive quality is expected to really do is to really drill down through that misleading final score to really show what was earned from this team. Yeah, the sense I get is that betters think the Steelers' defense is like they were in 2018, 2019. This just like nasty unit that took you know Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges to the playoffs, forcing turnovers left and right. Uh, and I think like adjusted drive quality thanks a pre pretty good picture like this team is actually like a bottom 10 defense their secondary was dreadful they were like 26 and perfectly covered plays 
Joe Hayden was really washed up. They were really reliant on TJ Watt. I think the market might be pricing in. Okay, at least the defense is good. We got like a defense and a good head coach. And we know the offense was terrible. I like, think everyone knows the offense was bad. That's um, what's almost interesting to me is where the total scoring margin over expected comes from. I would have expected it to be all offense. It's actually a mix. That's a good call out. That total scoring margin over expected looks at how did they actually outperform expectations? And then how do you attribute that outperformance? We can see you know, total scoring margin over expected minus 34 points, which kind of makes sense. But yeah, it's relatively split down the middle, implying that the defense underperformed kind of consistent with the offense. And to your point around um, the defense being really reliant on TJ Watt, the defense allowed 5.2 yards per play, but that's with Watt on the field. With Watt off the field, then it's 6.2 yards per play. So a huge difference with him simply not being on the field. And I think that's a good point too around what is being priced in the market and what is not. I agree, everyone knows the offense is bad. Everyone expects the offense to be bad. And if, if the offense is anything better than bad, that's just a cherry on top. But the defense is good. And the defense is a top five unit. That's what the market that's is pricing. And so if that, if you think the offense, if you think the defense is much worse than that, and you're saying possibly a bottom 10, yeah, then that's huge. I think the offense, if anything, will improve. You can't really get much worse than Ben Roethlisberger was last year. And I think the market is pricing in this defense as if they're still really good. Because the picture that's left in people's head is the Steelers defense carrying Duck Hodges to the playoffs. And even carrying Ben Roethlisberger. To the yeah, playoffs. exactly. Yeah. So offseason changes. And they didn't really make that many changes. So obviously the loss of Big Ben, bringing in Mr. Bisky, and also uh, rolled the dice and drafted George Pickens from Georgia, if Mitch Trubisky could realize the potential for what the Bears originally had from him, drafting him as the number two overall pick. And I'm not saying that he would ever reach that type of potential, but he always showed flashes in Chicago from time to time. He's way more mobile than Big Ben. In fact, when you're the tail end of his career in Chicago, the offense actually started to open up a little, allow him to actually run more. In fact, even had more designed runs for Trubisky, allowed him to be a better quarterback. And so I wonder if Matt Canna and his offense could maybe source some of that unrealized talent from Mitch Trubisky. And if we look at 2022, again, win expectation at that seven and a half, very depressed to win the division, expected to come in last, of course, plus a thousand, plus 350 to make the playoffs. One thing I have here is George Pickens win Offensive Rookie of the Year plus 1,000. Certainly, probably more likely to cash than the Steelers win the Super Bowl. So Pythag 2.0 has the Steelers under. You and Pythag 2.0, you're locked in. That's right. Seeing eye to eye. I don't even have the, uh, I don't even see the Pythag 2.0 before. Uh, at least. Totally blind here. <laughs> Strength of schedule, fourth hardest. At rest, negative four days, mean spread, plus two and a half. It's pretty low for a seven and a half win expectation. Patriots, Browns, Jets, I think are all winnable. So you could be three and one right there. I'm gonna be ecstatic to sell at that point. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't think they really sell because I think even if they go into three and one, the I think no. the mark's gonna be like the same thing as last year. It's gonna be like just waiting for the craft to show to just sell off hard 
on them. And if they're three and one, it's going to be the, oh, this is the worst three and one team like ever. <laughs> yeah. And coming off the bye, then you got Saints, Bengals, Colts. That's not a breath of fresh air coming out of the bye. Then Falcons, Ravens, Panthers. Maybe you could get squeeze out two wins there. And then close with Raiders, Ravens, Browns. Yep. You're keeping me off, off the over. And yeah, this looks like a very tough schedule. So I'm with you, I guess. Browns, the villains of the NFL. Went into 2022 with a win expectation of 10. Went eight and nine. Seven and 10 ATS. Lost a hundred dollar unit better. Over a thousand bucks. So definitely one of the worst performances that we've seen thus far doing these previews. We see they hung around from a power rankings perspective all the way up until about week 13, 14, and then sold off into the end of the year. Where they got up to eight. They were kind of everyone's darling at the beginning of the season. The week one game against the Chiefs. Yes, they didn't mind. So really hanging with the Chiefs, giving them a hard time. It's like, okay, the Browns are here to stay. People were really high on Kevin Stefanski, one coach of the year in 2020. Baker Mayfield, everyone seems to have forgotten that he had his breakout 2020. He was getting ready to, to dominate in 2021 and was really good through the first couple of weeks. If you look at the EPA numbers there, weeks one and two was excellent. Week three, I don't know, all went down. I think some of the same reasons why people were bullish on the Browns in 2021, you should apply the same reasoning in 2022. X is a terrific head coach, a terrific offensive design. I think that Amari Cooper is a massive upgrade mm -hmm. at wide receiver that they haven't uh, had. And defense is, is was very young and is only going to get better. And especially as secondary players age, uh, they tend to get better. There's still a lot of them on their rookie deals. And these were high picks and the edge group is one of the best in the league like yes the quarterback is the, the big question mark i think baker mayfield was thought to be a, a top 10 quarterback in 2021 and he didn't actually perform that way but all the other reasons to buy the browns i think still exist from 2 to 53 in the head coach with the exception of the tails risk of the organizational dysfunction assuming that doesn't happen there are good reasons to buy the and also we know their offensive line was really destroyed throughout the course of the season. Right. And we look at the total scoring margin over expected negative 51 and a half and all of it attributable to their offense. And so a lot of upside to potentially be gained here. Very hot start, played very competitively versus the Chiefs. We're winning that game by 12, ended up losing it. But yeah, that was a sufficient spark to kind of capture all the bullish Browns betters imagination for what could be. Yeah. Browns ended up blowing it after having a two touchdown lead. Had an ugly game versus Denver. Got Ended up getting swept by the Steelers over the course of the season. 2022. Plus 380 win the division, plus 175 to win the playoffs, plus 5,000 win the Super Bowl. I feel like if you wanted to take a flyer on the Super Bowl, like I'm saying that, in fact, the exact opposite of what I say happens and like it all comes together. Yeah. That's my favorite bet. I'm at, I really am hitting like on opposite, like full on tails, like 1% outcomes. I don't hate the fewest wins and I don't hate a Super Bowl. Yeah, like what makes it easy here is again, you're, you're a franchise in flux, but you ostensibly have the eighth easiest schedule. You have a positive net two days of rest. 
again, we don't really have a lot of kind of future forecasted spreads out in the market right now. But yeah, front half of the season is certainly easier than the back half of the season. Yeah. And there's always the huge asterisk of trying to forecast the season here in late August. But in any case, that second half does look very tough. But if you go in at five and three into the buy, then you just need to squeak out three wins to push on that eight. It's not terrible. Moving on to the AFC champions. Cincinnati Bengals came into 2021. I was actually surprised by looking at this. So they came into 2021 with an expected win total of seven. That was actually pretty high. I ended up going 10 and seven. So well over the seven, 10 and seven. Also, that's one $100 unit better on the money line spread over 500 bucks. Pythag had him at 10 and a half. Our Pythag 2.0 actually had him at eight and a half. So actually much lower. Mean power rank about 18. Seven day power rank volatility was six spots. That's mostly attributable to obviously the market starting the season off very low on the Bengals and then taking them eight weeks, nine weeks for them to finally kind of get up 20 spots. There is a real kind of, I think, market adjustment after the Ravens game and immediately lost to the Jets, Mike White's Jets. And it's like everything we thought. We had like a, a seven week case that was building of like, okay, maybe the Bengals are actually good. They lose to Mike White and the Jets, like downwards trending. Then again, get crushed by the Browns. It was like, okay, this team isn't actually that good. Yep. And then it, it took a while to be like, okay, slowly, here come the Bengals. You know, when we're looking at these types of charts. There's a lot to learn here around not getting caught in the moment in any specific week. Like it's so easy to look at this and just see the future, see how it all played out and you feel very comfortable with it. Yeah. Like spelling out the Y axis here is important. Like you can see, it looks like a pretty big jump. It's going from 11 to 18 in the span of two weeks. And that's a massive jump. And that's from a team we say, okay, this is like an above average to really to, to good team to no, they're actually below average. Yeah. Did it twice. Yeah. No, they they did it twice and granted some things changed over the course of the season, but I think you make a really excellent point, which is the Bengals are a prime example of the importance of kind of quantifying change over the course of the season, which is like, uh, are certain types of changes built in where you should maintain this long-term perspective. And I think these podcasts are extremely helpful for understanding your own priors and your own perspective and then kind of evaluating mid-season and saying, okay, is this good reason to jump off? Should I still be buying? Is it time to jump off? The new information come in where it's like, okay, my prior was wrong. And kind of that's the most difficult part of being a better, but also the most profitable. And I think we've seen this also time and time again, as we're previewing these teams and looking back on 2021 is even some of the best teams are having these dud of games. And those on a standalone basis have proved actually to been more noise than signal. And was certainly not any reason for you to kind of reorient your potentially your priors on them or otherwise kind of reshape how you want to forecast them moving forward. And so we know off season changes again, something very well priced in. Everybody knows it. They meaningfully upgraded their offensive line, which was one of their key weaknesses last year. And as we saw at the beginning, when we were looking at the market kind of consensus offensive line rankings, they moved up dramatically are now a top 15 unit. 
And so despite that, I feel like it's very torn on the way the market is kind of positioning on the Bengals. Yeah. There's a lot of people that want to sell the Bengals and we can kind of see their their future win totals for a team that just went to the Super Bowl at nine and a half. It's pretty low. Yeah. But I feel like there's like a contingency that's like, oh, they upgraded like the major weakness. They can only get better. Yeah. But then there's yeah. a lot of people that say, like, they were never as good as they were last year. And they were just one of those teams that got hot at the right time. And they're actually much worse. I think this is a great example of the different push and pulls from the market. No one thought they'd go to the Super Bowl. Okay, this team overachieved. They're going to come back down to earth. And this is something I don't think the market's pricing in at all because it very rarely prices it in, is that what if Joe Burrow gets better? Yeah. Like he's the number one overall pick. He got much better from year one to year two. Players, especially young quarterbacks, get better from year two to year three. That just happens. In the same way that no one priced in the possibility that, hey, maybe Joe Burrow would actually become a top 10 quarterback and maybe we shouldn't be power ranking the Bengals at 29th to start the season. Can be saying the same thing from year two to year three. What if he takes the next step? We've got elite receivers, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd might be the league's best receiving unit. Defense is fine. They fixed their offensive line. Like, yes, they overachieved. But what if this offense is the best in the league? That wouldn't be unthinkable. I think the fantasy market is definitely telling us that the Bengals could potentially be the most explosive offense in the NFL. And that's one thing that you and I have talked a lot about as well is trying to source signal for betting from fantasy. I think the fantasy market is sharper than the betting market. The guys in fantasy, I feel like are just more intelligent, have like way more sophisticated ways of analyzing information, are way more comfortable with data than like the broader sports betting market. And I think you know, leveraging that source of information to kind of cross-pollinate different views. Yeah, uh, I think the market's almost building in an expectation that, as a general rule, explosive offenses are less stable year over year. We should be looking at something more like success rate if we're using an analytical statistic, because that's more stable year over year. We have an outlier here. Jamar Chase and Roberto are going to be better deep every year, statistically. It's not going to regress to the mean because it's a specific skill Joe is a very good deep thrower and he's very accurate, which means that he allows for good yards after the catch. And Jamar Chase, so long as he stays healthy, is going to be elite after the catch. They're always going to be better explosive than other teams. That's not something that's going to regress. And I think the market's pressing that in. Like we should build in some regression that this team is going to be less explosive. I don't think that's true. They're going to continue to be as explosive. One thing that's necessary to call out, I don't hear it being cited as much for why you would be bearish on the Bengals, but is Zach Taylor. I was about to bring that up. That's the biggest question mark to me. Going into last year, especially, and even throughout the course of last season, it's like, how are they doing this? Because Zach Taylor is such a bad coach. And is he getting better? I don't know, but I know a consistent view that he was one of the worst, if not the worst coach in the NFL. Very young, one of the youngest coaches in the NFL as well, so it's gonna allow for the possibility for growth in philosophy and approach, but it didn't necessarily demonstrate itself throughout the season. It was like they were winning in spite of Zach Taylor, not because of Zach Taylor. I think it's that like, it's a massive question mark. And that's why I'm not being like, I'm all in the Bengals Super Bowl. I think that Joe Burrow can be top five quarterback with a very good offensive line and elite receivers. That's like recipe number one for me 
to jump all over a Super Bowl team. Like possibility of elite quarterback, elite passing game. But it just like Dak Taylor's total wild card. Right? I have no faith at all. And that's mm-hmm. tempering me back from just like being all in on the Bengals. Yeah, that's definitely the Achilles heel here for the Bengals. Because when you look at the the Bengals potentially have the sixth hardest strength of schedule in 2022. And when you're thinking about the impact of coaching decisions, it's when there's a close game and there's a meaningful call that needs to be made that's going to dictate potentially the outcome. And maybe those things didn't pop up as much last year. I mean, the thing is, is, I wonder if this is a consequence of the Zach Taylor effect. We're looking at like max deficits. I'm one, two, I'm going to call this three, four, five, six, seven, eight games of double digit deficits yeah. last year. So is that, again, you're not play calling the game properly. And then it's the miraculousness of Mar Chase and Joe Burrow. And I think stands out more than the Super Bowl on the last drive on third down from the shotgun running Samaj P. Ryan. That's when it showed itself. Exactly. In a close game, when the team needed it most. One of the things I also wanted to call out here is too is, and we'd see how it took really long time, I guess, maybe for traditional modelers or ELO modelers to really catch up to the Bengals. It looks like actually the betting market was much faster. So we see like they were a, a top five, top 10 pick starting in week five and really from then on all all the way through the end of the season so the market was pretty quick to adjust to seeing value in the bengals something that i thought yeah pretty interesting the close kind of and looking at their schedule i mean it does look pretty tough but the spreads are are notable there right they're not huge underdogs which i think speaks to the value of how the market is seeing the bengals this also has to be a record for Bengals, at least within our lifetimes. Yeah. Of one, two, three, four, five, six prime time games. So national audiences are going to getting a large dose of Bengals in 2022. Right. Ravens, perhaps the most controversial team in the NFL. Always an argument around the efficacy of the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and their approach and their strategy. 2021 came in with that 10 expected wins similar to this year. Went under that, of course, were devastated by injuries. There was a chart that everybody Arjun together that really kind of demonstrated how outsized of an impact injuries had on the Ravens, ended up going eight and nine, seven and 10 against the spread, lost a hundred dollar unit better on the money line spread over 500 bucks. Pythag had them around eight wins. Our Pythag 2.0, again, to my dismay, had them at 9.2. So suggesting that they're actually better than they actually were in the realized win total perspective. Because again, this is a team that I feel like no matter how injured they were, the market is relatively high on the Ravens and for that reason, always kind of going to give them the benefit of the doubt, even if they don't necessarily perform well. But again, we're five and one going into week seven, got blasted by the Bengals, then came back, played the Vikings, 
didn't cover the seven, but ended up winning the game. Then looked really bad on Thursday night football versus the Dolphins. And that's when I feel like the cracks really started to show. And again, some of the injuries started to really jump to them and ended up not making the playoffs, not covering their win total, again, despite a pretty promising start. This is my bold call for the Ravens 2022. I don't think the offense is going to look anything like it did in 2021 because of the running back injuries. I think that the Ravens adopted a different style of play. Lamar Jackson both threw the ball at quicker and had a much higher passing depth, which is counterintuitive because you'd think generally the longer the play develops, the further you throw the ball. I think it actually speaks to the game plan, which was very quick throws and deep shots because they did not really believe in their run game to kind of get the smaller yardage plays that they were doing, that they were you know, enjoying previously. Which is almost to say that like they have their running backs healthy. The offense is not going to look like it did in 2021. I think it's going to look more like the 2019 version. More running, certainly a different passing style. I think the trade of Marquise Brown signals that, which is that they're, they don't really care about who they're really throwing to. Back to those two tight end sets. And defensively, that's where most of the injuries were coming from. They lost the entirety of their secondary. It was Jimmy Smith, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey missed a bunch of time. Everyone was out. The defense is going to look nothing like it did in 2021. Very little chance that the Ravens look anything like 2019. 2019, in my view, was one of those years that caught the league by surprise. And the league could just simply never catch up to it. Just could never adjust from a week to week basis of dealing with already whatever that team is dealing with and then having six days to prepare or whatever for this offense just could never, just never happen. Yeah. And, but the, the Ravens, I've not really ever shown glimmers of that team. To add some data using our new drive score metrics. They were by far the best team in the database, by far. Adjusted win differential of almost 12.3 points. The next is 11.7. It's the Broncos in 2013 and Peyton Manning's prime year. That's not happening again. I think that's exactly your point. That's not happening. And I think that if betters are trying to chase the 2019 Ravens, that's going to fail. That model cannot be replicated and it couldn't have even been replicated in 2020 or 2021, even if everything worked out perfectly. That's just a one percentile outcome that happened in 2019. I think what's also, again, we can lament that they were very injured and ended up losing a bunch of these games and maybe they're actually, they're a better team than that. But they were pretty, again, they, they were banged up right off the bat. So we know that. But this Colts game was not a justified win. And then they needed, what, a 65 all-time, like, greatest kick, longest kick ever from After their fourth and 20 pass interference. Yeah. And also when, even on that 65-yard kick, there was, like, a blatant false start. No business winning that Sunday night game. Oh, and that's a, a, another, I, yeah, I for, totally forgot about this one, in fact. Look at that mean margin, too. Almost a touchdown. And ended up winning it. Yeah. So that's three games right there. So that's like, it's not a wash, but that mitigates some of this asterisk here of, yeah, well, they lost those last six, but they were super banged up.
ended up winning three games in the front half of the season that they probably shouldn't. Yeah. Also week nine, looking at the mean margin, they beat the Vikings. Jeez, they were down under, I don't even really remember this one, but that's hideous too. Yeah. Almost a touchdown again, mean margin. Win probability, yeah, 43%. End up being the Vikings. I don't think they were that good, but I'll stand yeah. by it. There's nothing to learn. The offense is going to look nothing like it. The defense is going to look nothing like this team. One thing, though, not upgrade wide receiver in any shape, shape or form. They're relying totally on Rashad Bateman to materialize into what they want him to be. Yeah. I think the, the only signal to glean there, if you can find a bet which allows you to bet on which team is going to run the most 12 personnel, I'd take the Ravens here, which is that. The Ravens are going to run a ton of two tight end formations. They're going to use their backs. They're going to use their tight ends. It's not, it doesn't really matter who their wide receivers are. And that, that's their bet. Whether it's going to work is a totally separate question. So we're looking at 2022 for the Ravens. Again, win total expectations at 10 to win the division plus 140 to make the playoffs minus 165. I would never touch that. Plus 2000 to win the Super Bowl. I think that potentially has some value. I think it was higher in the offseason and has been bid down already. Our Pathak 2.0 model, no bet here. Strength of schedule, 11th easiest. Net rest, minus three days. And mean spread, less than a field goal, minus two. You start off probably as, as best as some as you could ask for. Jets, Dolphins, Patriots. Then have a tough back-to-back -back games, but both at home, Bills and Bengals. And then you have Giants, Browns, Bucks, and Saints into the bye. Depending what happens in that Patriots game, we're like, oh, this team's two and three with like two bad wins, like two, two wins over like non-quality teams. This team's done. I can see that narrative playing out. I can also see them going four and one and just steamrolling over everyone. Yeah, and if that's the case, then they're definitely going over because you look at the back half of the season, and it's much more favorable. So you have Panthers, Jags, Broncos, Steelers twice, Falcons, Browns, and then close at the Bengals. I have a thesis on what the market's getting at right now that I think has come through in our conversation is that the central question around the 2022 Ravens is how much of 2019 can they capture? Are they going to be 70%? Are they going to be 80%? Are they going to be 90%? The market's like a little uncertain. They're pressing in kind of a, a mean outcome, which is where we get 10 from. Yeah, see, I think anything close to 2019 is off the table. 50% best case. The team is always going to be in a position to show flashes, which I think is always going to create just enough amount of noise and just to keep the argument aflame. There's always yeah. going to be enough for that. I think you they could do that in week one versus the Jets. Also, they have a tendency to blow out opponents. Like when they, they win big, they don't take their foot off the gas pedal. Which ends up kind of distorting narratives. Yeah. And I see this as a team that I'm going to be betting futures on because there's going to be a lot of week-to-week -week volatility, a lot of just games where they show up, they don't show up, and I want a thesis that's going to play out over 17 games. I want to have as little opinion on the Ravens on a week-to-week -week basis. It's like always like my long-term view on them is typically right. Yeah. But like in between, I can never time it properly. So given that's the case, I just stay away. That's why yeah. I love futures. <laughs>
That's why you have to keep me off the temptation of trying to like bet them on a week to week basis. Remember yeah. what you said in the preseason? So that wraps up our preview of the AFC North. We'll see you next week when we preview the NFC North. And then we're going to have to get into week one preview soon. Oh, man. Preseason's Jeez. already behind us. That's coming soon. Thanks, everyone. That's Closing Bell.